Welcome to The Happy Place. This is the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Houston. Just thrilled that you are joining us once again, wherever you are in the world, however you may be connecting with us. We appreciate you making us a part of your day. We also got to uh, thank our partners, Live Happy Magazine. We're going to be talking about their new issue coming up here in just a few moments. It'll be available on newsstands and, of course, the digital edition available wherever you appreciate getting it. The Apple Store, Google Play Store, what have you. It's all there for you. Also, want to thank our partner, Life Reimagined, and their website, lifereimagined.org. They've got all kinds of processes and things for you to go through as you attempt to reach your peak happiness. As you awaken to the power of happiness, so do your dreams. So what's next? Go to lifereimagined.org. Well, as I mentioned, the new issue of Live Happy Magazines is hitting newsstands the same day that this podcast is uh, hitting, well, iTunes. It's hitting wherever you're getting us <laughs> from, all on the same day. And uh, it's a very exciting uh, issue of this one. As you heard there, Deborah Heiss, our uh, COO, founder, uh, multiple-time Heisman Trophy winner, I think, <laughs> uh, is here with us as we get ready to uh, dive into this new issue. Jillian Michaels on the cover. What a great get. No, she is. She's fantastic. You know, she's she's got this really positive energy about her, and she's involved in so much more than just fitness, which is the way people think about her. Um, she really is about changing herself for the better, and she's just a fantastic personality to be on our February issue cover. And that cover shoot uh, was, uh, as I understand, very interesting, a lot of fun for people who were involved, and someone got a chance to uh, record a few minutes with her. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. The uh, person who wrote the story, Shelley Levitt, who is uh, one of our editors at large, um, from, uh, lives in California, she was on set for the uh, photo shoot, and we have, uh, have, have some of that interview recorded, which we'll uh, include for you. Let's, let's listen to Julia. <laughs> let's listen to her right now. Okay, the first thing I would say is... Um, I have it, it's called the 12-hour rule. And it sounds crazy, but I tell people you, you, you have to take at least 12 hours every week and dedicate them to yourself. And if you can at least practice a 12-hour minimum, you'll get your doctor's appointments in, you'll get your workouts in, you'll get your... And they go, oh, that's absurd, I don't have it. And right now, honestly, in this at this stage in my life, but there's no way people are working the way. There's no way you're working a 17-hour day. I've never worked a 17-hour day before. This is new, and it's it's getting cut back as soon as I'm done shooting. But if you think about it, you get 140 hours of the week where you're awake. You can't find 12. Really? It's not that much. And it's definitely a combination of trading off with your significant other, you know, trading off with another mom. Asking a family member to watch the kids, uh, doing after school care, if you you know, but if you go, all right, you know, my kids are done at three, but there's like this after school thing till, you know, five and you do, I mean, the kid's not going to die and you do it once or twice a week. You just bought four hours or you ask, you know, hey, grandma to babysit for a few hours on Saturday morning or you trade off with your partner, you know, two nights a week and you go for that 30 minute jog outside the house or if it, it, I don't care when you find it, it could be the morning, it could be the evening, it could be Saturday, it could be Sunday, but otherwise you just get so depleted and so angry and so exhausted and you have nothing to offer. You just don't, you have nothing to offer. So I try to get my, you know, some aspect of my 12 hours in every day. Then I would say working out, but you know, it, it's, it's not always possible, but it kind of, I try to do one thing every day that's selfish. So whether it's watching a TV, even if it's as simple as watching a TV show that you want to watch, 
You know what I mean? And my kids, like, there's only so much sacrifice you can do. Like, people will ask me, oh, did you watch the debates? And I was like, no, no. I was deep in octonaut territory that night. Like, <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't do it all. But the kids go to bed at some point. You know, if it's like, okay, you watch your show or you, you know, you allow yourself to go, it, like, you eat at the restaurant you want to eat at. Like, I think that's okay. My kids are now used to eating sushi and Chinese food. They want to go to Mr. Chow. They beg me to go to, to go to sushi now. So between, you know, even Mr. Chow's Chinese food. Um, like, I think that it's, it's okay to do that. Uh, I would say, if possible, always try to make it home for bedtime. And I know that when people cut, cut into my kids' bedtime, I get vicious. Even last night, like, somebody, you know, sweat was on. And I was like, dude, I was up at 5 in the morning doing press for this show. I worked all day long on my other show and doing press for this show. And now from 5 to 7, you know, I, I, like, I got home at 5.30 and I started my kids. You do your food, the bath, the show, and the bedtime ritual. And, you know, I retrain. I do one kid. Heidi does one kid. Then we switch off. And I was like, I'm not... So help me God. And so I had my son do a video from bedtime telling everybody the show's starting. Cause I'm like, and I was honest. I was like, I'm micro I'm multitasking. Cause it's like, I'm putting my kids to bed right now. Cause I'm like, have some respect, man. I have two young kids. It's not like I haven't done my part. So I really think it's important that you, you set boundaries with people. That's another big one. Set your boundaries and hold them firm. I like the idea of setting apart 12 hours a week for yourself. I don't like the idea that I think that my dad would have with that, which is, okay, all 12 hours are going to be on a college football Saturday, (laughs) and you can't bother me from kickoff until the final whistle of the West Coast games. Uh, But no, the the idea of taking 12 hours, I like how she illustrated that. It seems like a lot. And I'm thinking about your schedule. I'm thinking about what my schedule is. Where are we, where were we going to find 12 hours? And then you see, oh, well, we have 140 where we're, we're, we're awake. I, I also really like the idea that, uh, you know, she points out it's small segments of time, but she also points out that it's time for you. Mm-hmm. This is not, which a lot, a lot of people talk about, it's not 12 hours where you're going to go to the gym all 12 hours. This is not no. about 12 hours accomplishing a task. This is about 12 hours really for your sanity and your happiness and the peace in your life. You know, the fact that she threw in watch a TV show for you as part of the 12 hours. Once again, not necessarily a watch 12 hours of TV is your 12 hours. <laughs> you know, maybe, you know, maybe you can binge something on Netflix in 12 hours. But well, yeah, you can, yeah, but, but mix it up and yeah. do things for you. And I think that's important in, in this day and age, especially if people think they got to work all the time and you've got to, and, and we're, we, we talk about it in the issue about having an inability to disconnect. Take at least 12 hours a week to, or, or you know, whenever you can find it to, to do something that's just strictly for you. In fact, uh, in the issue, we have a great article on uh, the benefits of play, which feeds right into this. It's, oh, yeah. You know, really, even as adults, we need to remember that it's okay and healthy and beneficial to play. We have two different uh, uh, two different articles on it, and one is uh, 33 ideas on how you can get started if you have forgotten how to play. If, if you have forgotten how to play, you probably don't have a three-year-old in your house. No, number like one, I do. purchase a Lego set. Yeah. Number two. Okay, no, no, no. But, uh, you know, really making sure that you're setting aside time for yourself, making sure that you're remembering to play, enjoy things that are not necessarily constructive on the surface really will benefit your overall sense of well-being, which is, of course, what Live Happy is all about. 
And I think getting into just breaking into your creative side is something that's just as important as finding your 12 hours, really, to be honest with you. Um, we've also got uh, Hoda Kotb from the Today Show is featured in the magazine. What's she doing in there? Well, we just love Hoda. Um, she's a real tremendous representative for positive attitude. In fact, we loved her so much. Her story is in uh, the upcoming book, Live Happy, 10 Practices for Choosing Joy, which is out March 15th. And shameless plug, you can pre-order now. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's also, uh, full disclosure, you're not just putting her in the book in the magazine because she sends you bottles of wine every month. No, she has not sent me okay. a single bottle of wine. Okay. Sorry. Although, you know, I do appreciate the bottles of wine on the show in the morning. I have to try some of them. But no, um, she's just a tremendous positive force. And if you watch her show and you watch her interview people, she just lights up a room and she she lights up everyone around her. And she has a lot of positive things to say about how you can maintain, um, you know, a really positive outlook on life. In fact, the title of the article is Positively Hoda. And uh, we love the article. We love her. Um, Stacy Kaiser, our editor-at-large, is on her radio show once a month. Um, there's just a real synergy with what she's all about and uh, who the magazine is. So we're really happy to be able to feature her this month. Absolutely. Another thing we're happy to feature, and we're actually going to be doing a lot with this idea, the 90 Days to a Happier You Project is featured in this magazine. And we're going to have some podcasts on it as well with uh, experts. But there's all kinds of different ways in which our actions or our mindsets can interfere with our quest toward being a happier person. And we've got some experts that, that talk about ways that we can sort of, I don't know, necessarily combat, but but deal with those issues. Yeah, our, our editorial staff has taken um, the plunge, so to speak. Five of them have volunteered to be subjects where they work with coaches on specific issues. Um, one is talking about uh, her in, you know, lack of sleep, deal, working about sleeping better. One is uh, di- connecting from digital devices. You know, we kind of become addicted to our digital devices and uh, make us work or think about work all the time. One of them is dealing with anxiety. Another one is dealing with communication issues with her teenage daughter. And the fifth one is setting goals. And we have one of our editors who has uh, who's a, does a great job for us, but he's looking at you know his future career and, and how he wants to set goals, not just for work, but for family life. So these are great, five great topics with five great coaches. And so we've got podcasts coming up about them. We've got podcasts with the, both the experts and the subjects of this study. And it's really 90 days to a happy, happier you. But what we're really trying to do here is give people the tools that they need right now to make good on promises they've made themselves. A lot of people call this resolutions, and I'm kind of the anti-resolution person because so many people fail at them. I'm more the change person. So what this is really about is how do you create positive change in your life? And, and I had the privilege of, and there, there's a great article in the magazine, and he's on this podcast, actually, the privilege of interviewing Tal Ben-Shahar about how we make lasting change in our life. How do we take these resolutions we've all just made for the new year, these changes that we want to make, and combine them to have a positive effect? How do we really accomplish that? And this guy, for those of you who don't know, he's an author, lecturer, taught at Harvard University's most popular course on positive psychology, third most, po- uh, third most popular course on the psychology of leadership. It's incredible stuff. And uh, let's go ahead and take a listen to that uh, conversation right now. Tal, I'm so happy to have you on the show today. We're really excited about this article in the new magazine about creating lasting change. The main thing, that, of course, that we're excited about is this is resolution season, which means many, many people have just made their New Year's resolutions and either are going to fail because they have no plan to keep them or have made huge resolutions that are impossible to keep. And, of course, a certain percentage of people actually keep those resolutions. But what we're really about at at, uh, Live Happy is not about uh, making resolutions or immediate change. We're really about creating a quality of life and building the life you want. 
I really appreciate you being on the show today to talk about how we can create lasting change. Well, th- thank you very much. You know, th- this is a huge issue, and it's uh, within within the, the whole field of psychology. I mean, we, we're all about change. We're about uh, bringing more happiness to people's lives, uh, less anxiety or depression. Um, and in order to bring about that change, um, we have to create new behaviors, new patterns, either of thinking or, or doing. And yet, most people, even when they are, they have resolved. To, to, to do something, they don't do it. Uh, and, and that's unfortunate. And, and, and I think this is the most important question uh, for psychologists and, and, and lay people to ask. You know, how can we bring about lasting change in our lives, in other people's lives? So why, why do we have so much difficulty with that? Why, why is it so hard for people to actually make a change? Well, uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, the fact that we actually have very little, uh, compared to what we think, very little self-discipline, uh, very little willpower. So sure, there are people with more, people with less, but, but, but overall, uh, human beings have, have little willpower. And if we rely on willpower to bring about change, if we rely on our motivation to, uh, to, to behave in a, in a different way during this year, or to go to the gym on a regular basis, or to meditate, uh, if we rely on willpower, that usually in, uh, in almost every case, that doesn't work. So what does work? What practices can people use to actually begin to stick to their goals or create this change? You know, so, so this is where um, I think we can learn a lot from uh, religion, actually. You know, in, in many ways, philosophers had it wrong and theologians had it right. Specifically, the father of Western philosophy is uh, Socrates or mm-hmm. his student Plato. And what Socrates said was that to know the good is to do the good. And, and unfortunately, Socrates, is, you know, as brilliant as he was, he was wrong on this point. <laughs> to know the good is, is not to do the good. You know, we know what's good for us in terms of you know, what we should and shouldn't eat. And yet, you know, most of us uh, deviate from knowing the good. Uh, we know that we should or shouldn't uh, behave towards certain people in certain way, and, and yet we all err and, 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 and later regret how we behave or what we say. So to know the good is not necessarily to do the good. Where religion, on the other hand, had, had, it, had it right, is that religion emphasizes repetition. It emphasizes rituals. So even though you know, um, people may know the prayer off by heart, uh, the, the, they're still... Um, urge to repeat it day in and day out, you know, sometimes more than once a day. They're encouraged to do them over and over again, you know, whether it's a charity or whether it's a prayer that they utter. Um, and, and the reason is because um, if you want to introduce real, actual change, that behavior has to be repeated over and over and over again as, as a ritual. Now, how does this deal with willpower? So initially, let's say I want to exercise on a regular basis. Um, it takes a lot of willpower to, to get up in the morning and you know, put my running shoes on and, and, and go out for a run or go to the gym. However, if I do it um, 20, 30, 40 times, uh, after a while, it becomes more of a habit and becomes a lot easier. I no longer need to drive myself, to use willpower to do it, to motivate myself. It's, it's basically automatic. It's a habit. Uh, just like brushing our teeth is. We don't need to motivate ourselves, you know, to put on a, 
uh, rocky music in the background and to clinch our fists each time we, we go to the, you know, the bathroom to brush our teeth. We just do it because it's a ritual, it's a habit. So what are the first steps someone should take to creating a ritual? Let's say what they really want to do is work out. A lot of people make that resolution. By day four, they're done. So how do, how do they bridge from this necessity of using willpower to get to the point that it's a ritual? Yeah, so the, the, the framework that, that I use is one advocated by um, Jim Lore and Tony Schwartz in their wonderful book, The Powerful Engagement. And what they talk about there specifically are three components of a successful ritual. The first one is that it needs to be motivated by a deeply held value. Mm-hmm. So, For example, when it comes to regular physical exercise and you know, physical health, that, that's a deeply held value for most people. Um, if it's brushing our teeth, you know, hygiene is, a, is an important value for most people. So a deeply held value is the first component. The second component is to do it at regular times. So, you know, with brushing your teeth would be mm-hmm. first thing in the morning and then just before you go to bed or exercise could be you know, on Monday at a certain hour, Wednesday at a different hour and so on, but regular hours on, on these days as much as possible. And the third component is specific behaviors. Um, with brushing our teeth, it's, it's obvious. With exercising, you need to decide in advance what kind of exercises uh, you want to do. So it's not waking up and saying, okay, so what do I feel like doing today? No, specify specific times. What am I going to do at 5 p.m. on, on Monday? Uh, I'm going to go to you know, my local gym. You know, 7 a.m. on a Wednesday, I'm going out for, for a run. Deeply held values, specific times, and specific action. You know, I've experienced this in my own life recently. I set a goal of running a half marathon this year. I travel a lot for business and for work, and I was finding myself, I like to go to the gym and work, you know, do more weightlifting and things like that, but it's not always practical. So last year I took up running. Here in the next few days I'll be running my first half marathon. And, you know, so I, I've had this whole project and schedule. I'm a very goal-oriented person. I've, I've done the long runs. I've done what I need to do to get there. But I'm a little worried about what happens when that um, half marathon is done. How do I continue to motivate myself to move forward? Because it's not as much yeah, a, a ritual for me as it's been a goal. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, the, what goals do for us very often is they provide the, um, the, the drive, the, the equivalent of the deeply held value. So for you, it was important, is important to run the half marathon. What happens after? Uh, the, the important thing is to, um, to replace that with something else. You know, it could be, okay, now I'm going to run a, another half marathon or, you know, I'm going to train for a, for a marathon or, or a 10K, it doesn't matter. Or alternatively, reconnect to what you felt like when you did that. You know, when you were running, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that you actually felt better, you know, more, more energized, more, more vital, um, that you were, you know, physically you felt healthier uh, as well, not just psychologically. So try to connect to the benefits and then connect it to, to your values. Now, having said that, um, initially it will be a challenge. And, and here is the thing with willpower. You see, we, we do have willpower. We just have very little of it. <laughs> and we need, to, we need to use it wisely. So it could be that for the first month, okay, so you take a week off after the, um, after the, the, the half marathon, which is, which is healthy. And then after that week, you use all your willpower to begin a training regime again. 
And then for about, you know, two, three or four weeks, it will be quite difficult. You will need willpower for that. And after that, it should again become, become a ritual. The key is during that month not to have other competing uh, demands on your willpower. This is the reason why most uh, New Year's resolutions fail, because, you know, people think about it this way. They say, you know, this is the first day of the rest of my life. Um, everything is going to be different from now on. And they make a list of 10 rituals, 15 rituals that are going to change their lives. And they're absolutely right. These rituals would, or, or these uh, resolutions will change their lives. The problem is that if you, if, if, if you commit to 10, you end up doing nothing. <laughs> yeah. And, and the reason is because we have very little willpower. And the key is just choose one or two resolutions for this, for this New Year's, not more. And then um, persist, make them a ritual, and then a month later or two months later when you feel like it's ritualized already, then you have willpower that you can spare for creating, if you want to, another set of rituals. Not all at once. So because we have very little willpower, we need to make sure that we're not expending that willpower over many tasks, but really focusing it is what you're saying. That's exactly right. So is there, is there a good example from your own life that you've been able to put this into practice and have some success? Um, yeah, well, just about you know, everything that I do on, <laughs> on, on a regular basis started off um, as, a, you know, as, as a commitment to a deeply held value and then, and then action. So, for, for instance, I exercise regularly. I also travel a lot. And um, I know f- for me, it's actually much more than, than physical well-being. It's psychological well-being. Um, in terms of uh, uh, lowering stress levels, uh, enhancing calm and well-being. So I exercise really deeply held value. Now, what happens with that is that when when I'm home, it's regular times, but when I travel, because of jet lag, you know, because of uh, schedules, uh, it's different. And therefore, I have this rule that whenever I arrive at a place, Unless it's the middle of the night and, I'm, and I need to go to sleep, I exercise, first thing. Um, if I do need to go to sleep, first thing in the morning when, when, when I wake up. So it's not a precise time, but it's still um, um, a precise commitment. Um, so, so I have that ritual for me. Again, it's, it's key for, for my well-being. I also, every morning when I wake up, I spend just five minutes uh, breathing deeply. Absolutely. Call it meditation, deep breath, just focus on the breath going in and out. For, uh, for five minutes. I also have rituals around, around family. So my wife and I, we go on a date um, once a week mm-hmm. as a ritual. And you know, m- many of our friends over the years said to us, come on, ritual around a date, you know, that, that, that's so unromantic. It's, where is the spontaneity? And I say to them, come on, three little kids, both of us working spontaneity? You know, if we didn't have those rituals, you know, <laughs> we wouldn't go on, on, on those dates. Again, deeply held value, my relationship with with my wife, specific times, um, specific behaviors in terms of going on a date. What we do on that date, that, you know, that varies. Sometimes, you know, last night we went out with friends. Uh, the week before we had a you know, lovely romantic dinner. So it changes each week. But that we have it, that's stepping stone. It's a ritual. This is great advice, by the way. Just making sure that you are aligning what you're trying to do with your values and what's important to you. Because, of course, it's difficult to adopt other people's 
values and, and, and try and react to those. It's better to look at what is important to me. But there's a lot of people who are still going to experience a little bit of failure. Maybe after three weeks, they, their habit mm. isn't quite there. There's some great information in the magazine that's what happens yeah. when you fall off the wagon. How do you make the change actually stick? And you gave some really good advice there. Could you share that with our listeners? Sure. So I'd like to say just a couple of things about it. One is that when, when researchers looked at the um, success of lifestyle changes, uh, whether it's diet, whether it's exercise, the successful uh, attempts were um, rarely the first attempts. In other words, it was usually the fourth or the fifth attempt that mm -hmm. was successful. Now, the reason for that is that each attempt, and this, this is uh, wonderful research done by uh, Jeffrey Schwartz from UCLA, the research shows that even if we make an attempt, a failed attempt, but just making the attempt actually begins to create a neural pathway that's associated with the, um, with, with the ritual. In other words, there are benefits to, to, to failing. So what I would say, you know, three weeks in and you fail and, and, and you find it difficult to, to get into it, don't worry, it will become easier. Try again, fail again, eventually you will, uh, you will succeed. Now, if um, the, um, uh, the failure persists and you know, you've tried many times, then you know, maybe try some, some, something else. I'll, I'll give you, again, a personal example. You know, so I said, when I wake up in the morning, I, I wake up with five minutes of uh, deep breath or, or meditation. I really wanted to, in the past, meditate for 30 minutes a day. And, and, and I started and I persisted and I failed and I tried again, you know, five times, ten times, you know, over, over years. And then eventually I said to myself, well, maybe sitting meditation is not the right thing for me. So I started yoga instead. Hmm. And it was a lot easier for me to, um, to ritualize yoga practices just because of my temperament. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm ADHD, you know, all over the place. I, I, I need movement. You know, if, if it doesn't work uh, after, after a while, you know, just, you know, tweak it, change it, find another uh, ritual that provides you with the same deeply held value. I think that is the, the issue for a lot of people. You know, I, I'm going to pick a, a very negative habit, which is smoking. I know so many people who have smoked in their lifetime and have just, you know, after trying to give it up three or four times, they almost just think that they can't succeed. So it's fantastic to know that just the attempt actually builds your likelihood of success in the future. Yeah, you know, uh, absolutely. And, you know, even in more extreme cases, so Jeffrey Schwartz's research is around uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. And, um, and, and what he's shown is that just attempting to change a habit, just the, the, the attempt to do it uh, goes a long way in over time changing it. That's fantastic. Um, Tal, I really, really appreciate you uh, being on the show today. I, this is some great advice starting off the new year. I'd love to have you back. This is just a, a little slice for our listeners, a very small slice of information that Tal has to share. So we, we want to get him back on the show. Um, I also want to make sure that everybody takes a look at happiertv.com, which is a place where you can see Tal, and there's a lot of videos there about various topics related to positive psychology that are, are fascinating and that I think will help improve your life. Thank you very much for being on the show today, Tal. Thank you, and thank you for all the wonderful work that you're doing. We're having a great time doing it. I, I have the best job in the world. Interesting stuff. Great conversation there, Deborah. Glad we were able to get uh, that conversation worked into this uh, edition of Live Happy Now. I know it, it's great stuff. I mean, just the fact that we have no willpower, is, <laughs> you know, it makes you feel better when you fail. But it also makes you realize that you're just, you know, when you fail, you're just like everybody else. And that failure leads to eventually positive things. But just 
the con just the realization that you aren't as in control as you as you think you are about what you're when you want to make changes is just i think very useful for a lot of people absolutely kind of takes some of the pressure off like you mentioned it does well, if you would like a free sketch note of this episode or for more about the February 2016 issue of Live Happy Magazine, you can visit our website, livehappynow.com. And, of course, while you're online, we would love to hear from you things you've heard on the podcast, things you'd like to hear on the podcast. You can find us on Twitter at livehappy, facebook.com slash livehappy, Instagram by searching mylivehappy, or you can send us an email, podcast at livehappy.com. For Deborah Heiss, I'm J.R. Houston saying so long and remember to always live happy.